Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, where every Jojo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. This is episode four, and we're reviewing part one, Phantom Blood Overdrive. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened previously in Jojo, so you've been warned. Episode four introduces us to a couple of really key things. First off, it introduces us to Hamon which is great. Confusing when they explain it in this episode, but it's great. It also introduces us to Zapelli, who is also confusing, but also great. Yeah, whereas the third episode, as I mentioned before, feels like a sort of season finale, this episode, although it's meant to be like a, I think the term is like denouement, where the action kind of falls, it just goes right back into it with these strange new elements with Hamon and with Zeppoli. And I would say this is where the bizarre aspect of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure really starts to kick into overdrive, <laughs> all puns intended. Um, but yeah, I remember my first viewing of this, I was still like, what the fuck is happening? Um, but you learn to appreciate like the the madness that is Hamon and the bigger madness that is Zeppeli. It's certainly not difficult to identify with Jonathan and Irina's confusion at the beginning of this episode when they first meet Zeppeli. And even shortly after that. I mean, Speedwagon's confused the entire time, but when a Speedwagon not confused about what's going on. Um, I just love like Zeppeli just shows up out of nowhere. Yeah. And he, he like teleports. He, he's like this weird mysterious figure, but he's only like mysterious for his first introduction. And then after that, he's just very confusing. <laughs> but he's awesome. I think that he's a character. He's obviously starting to become a, a father figure for Jojo, for Jonathan, even though um, we did just see his father very recently. But it's, it's kind of a replacement father figure for him as he's introduced to this world of Hamon and, and the way that he's going to be able to defeat Dio. That, and I kind of see it as Zeppeli is kind of the Yoda to Jonathan's Luke Skywalker in this episode. Because there is a point where um, Zeppeli is training Jonathan and he's using rocks and they're in the stream. It, it just it reminds me of like The Empire Strikes Back where Yoda forces Luke to use the Force. Um by balancing a rock in midair. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, and I, I just think it's great that his first introduction to Jonathan is stabbing him in the stomach with his pinky and then getting his, causing his entire shattered arm to suddenly heal. I mean, what an entrance. What a way to, to introduce yourself to the main character. Yeah. And I guess in that sense, like, Zeppeli and Yoda are both very ecstatic and unexpected, like, mentor characters to these protagonists. But let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis for part one, episode four, titled Overdrive. Three days after the epic showdown between Jonathan and Dio, Speedwaifu visits his burned lover in the hospital and finds that he is being tended to by Jonathan's childhood sweetheart, Erina Pendleton. But the noble Speedwaifu harbors no feelings of jealousy as he exclaims, I guess Speedwagon should let lovers be lovers. What a waifu. Meanwhile, in the Whitechapel district of London, a feeble Dio regains his vampiric strength after sucking the life out of Jack the Ripper and turning him into his personal lapdog, and later declares his intent to rule Zawardo, which is a Jojo reference that you will understand in due time, my friend. As Jonathan and Erina return to the Joestar mansion to find the remains of the Spoopy Stone mask, 
they meet a strange Italian fellow who introduces himself as Baron Will A. Zeppoli, who demonstrates a mysterious Hamon energy and eats a not-so-mysterious Hamon sandwich. Zeppoli Duda reveals his lifelong mission to destroy the spoopy stone mask and trains Jonathan in the Hamon arts to aid him in the fight against the power of the mask and the might of Dio. Together with Speed Waifu, who decided to join them for some odd reason, the pair track Dio down to win Night's Lot and are ambushed within a rock tunnel by zombie Jack the Ripper, who now has the ability ex- to expel cutlery from his body. Zeppeli Duda uses the trap to administer Jonathan's final Hamon exam, tasking him to take down the serial ripper whilst spilling not a drop of wine from a glass he must hold. Jonathan learns to use the wine as a Hamon catalyst and delivers a fatal kick to Jack, who from that point onwards will rip no more. Now before we dive into our thoughts on this episode, we wanted to introduce two new segments to the Strictly Jojo podcast that we feel are highly reflective of the Jojo culture. So to start off, here is our debut of the segment of Strictly Jojo called Is That a Music Reference? where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music. And I think the glaring reference in this episode is that Baron Will A. Zeppeli is an homage to the band Led Zeppelin. And as a side note, I think Araki also created the character Zeppeli to be an homage to the sort of drunken master archetype that you see in some martial arts films. I think like Jackie Chan's drunken master films more specifically. That makes sense. He is drinking wine in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, and he's just very aloof um, throughout it as well. I, I think it's interesting because like Zeppelin, and I noticed that you say Zeppeli, but I say Zeppeli, and I know that it's like it's like split down the middle from like videos I, I've I've watched and from talking to other people. Some people say Zeppeli, and some people say Zeppeli. Not to sound like too condescending, Uh-oh. but <laughs> I took Italian in high school, <laughs> so my pronunciation of like. Any words that seem Italian, in this case, um, his last name, I think I'm ingrained with the thought that if you have two consonants together in an Italian word, you have to make sure those are pronounced, which is why I say Zeppeli, but like you say, you say Zeppelian. I'm sure there's a right way to say it, but in our case, there's no right or wrong way. I think I latched onto Zeppeli because of the way they say it in in the the anime, the, the Japanese voice actors. But mm. I get that because I talk Japanese <laughs> and <laughs> I can also be that way with some, some a lot of Japanese words. Actually, I'll, I'll try to pr- pronounce them as true to their actual pr- pronunciation as possible as I struggle to pronounce any English words. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let me transition over to the other segment that you mentioned, which is our Jojo meme rundown. Um, this is where we list each new Jojo meme slash reference that appears in this particular episode. So for this episode, I think the only real meme we get out of this one is from the scene where Zapelli punches Jonathan with his pinky and then his arm heals. And he says, I feel fantastic. I can even lift this rock. And if you've seen this meme, it's just such a silly scene. And I think people took that 
and and kind of put a lot of things over it like they there's so many pictures out there of jonathan lifting all sorts of random shit um my favorite one it's like a semi-spoiler so i won't give any details but my favorite one is where he's lifting a particular item from part five um and if you've watched part five all the way through you'll you'll get what i'm what i'm referencing um it stays very true to the original scene but it's a it's an homage to to part five but yeah, so this is our, our meme, I think, that we found from this episode. If there's any others that we may have missed, feel free to reach out to us so we can add it to next week's meme rundown. Yeah, just give us that rundown. <laughs> Faxing that rundown to my dad. I'll be honest, I don't really remember seeing many memes of this particular meme, but I'm sure they're absurd. I can think of any kind of weird object that any memer out there is going to make JoJo hold. Yeah, there, there's quite an array out there. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good meme. It's a solid, solid A+. All right, now it's time for our thoughts on episode four of part one. Um, as you mentioned, this episode starts off with Jonathan recovering in the hospital, and Speedwagon mentions that he took him to the hospital, blah, 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 blah. And then we see, or rather, Speedwagon discovers Irina tending to Jonathan's wounds. And I just have a thousand questions. Cause I'm like, first of all, how the fuck did Erin Erina know that Jonathan was there? Does she work there? Is this like still the hospital? Cause it doesn't look like a hospital, but maybe it's just like an old school hospital. And like, how long has she been there? Because Speedwagon notes that her hands have like cracks and are bleeding from tending to his burns nonstop, which is awesome of her. But I'm also like, what the fuck? Like how, how did she know what's going on here? Why is she there? <laughs> And do they establish, like, where this hospital is? Like, is it in London or is it closer to where the Joestar Mansion is? No, they just, he just says he took, he took, he took him to the hospital. But my assumption is it's got to be close by because in the next scene, we see Jonathan return to his mansion after, I guess, recovering enough to be able to walk again. Mm -hmm. But I do want to say something really quick. I mean, it's just so funny to me. Like, Speedwagon is best waifu, right? And he's always watching over Jonathan. And he even is, like, peeping through the crack in the door at, like, Irina taking care of him. But can we acknowledge that Irina, while Speedwagon is best waifu, Irina... It's kind of stalkerish in this scene a bit. <laughs> it is. But, you know what? I take it as, like, he's he's watching over his guy, right? While mm. his, his husband, <laughs> while he's recovering. But while Speedwagon is best waifu, I think Irina is best girl. Again, like, she stayed with him the entire time. She healed his wounds. Well, not, like, literally, but helped to heal his wounds. Um, and even early on when they were kids, she was awesome to him. You know, thanked him for standing up for her by bringing him grapes um, and bringing him back his handkerchief. He, she dealt with Dio to a certain extent and then, you know, ran away because it's Dio. And he forced a kiss on her. But she's back because she wants to be with him. So I think Speedwagon is best waifu. And I think Irina is best girl in this part. One question I had in terms of Speedwagon is like the very first scene we see him show up at the hospital, presumably during the day. Then we have the OP. And then we go back and we see Speedwagon walking down the hallway of the hospital. But he comments that someone has visited Jonathan in the middle of the night. So my question is, how long has he been standing outside the hospital <laughs> until he actually goes inside, walks down that hallway, and then notices the light coming from Jonathan's room? And also, isn't he injured? Because his arm is wrapped in bandages. Like, shouldn't he also be, like, asleep in one of the hospital beds, like, recovering? But no, what like you he said, he's he's worried about his husband, though. So he's much. on patrol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So then in the next scene, after Jonathan, I guess, is discharged from the hospital, we see him and Irina taking a nice stroll. And then, aw, shit, it's Zapelli. And I just also have a lot of questions in this part because he's teleporting because Jonathan's like looking at him from over his shoulder, like, who's this guy? He's watching us. And then suddenly Zapelli goes from behind Jonathan to in front of him. And then he tra- he teleports like he falls off the wall and then he like, suddenly is like on the on the side of Jonathan. I'm like, how the fuck does he have teleportation powers? How is he doing this right now? And then another question that popped up was around that goddamn sandwich he was holding and he kept sprinkling pepper on. First of all, how much pepper do you need on is a sandwich? Is it salt or pepper? See, I thought it was salt, but then he sneezed. And isn't the like, um, the trope like pepper makes you sneeze? I guess. And I yeah. guess they are like little black dots. So I'm like, maybe it's pepper. But I'm like, how much pepper? does one guy need on a half a slice or half a piece of a sandwich? And also, is this a pocket sandwich with a pocket pepper shaker? Because where did he get the sandwich and the pepper shaker from? And, like, wouldn't this, the pepper, like, spill all over his pocket and, like, the sandwich just get his pocket all dirty? Like, I just, I don't know. It's kind I have of so like, many questions. It's kind of like when, like, Napoleon Dynamite stuffs tots into his pockets and then he just pulls them out when he's hungry. <laughs> um, I kind of rationalize this as... Again, I'm assuming like Zeppeli came from Italy, right? Um, just based on his last name, and he's here in England. And I know there's a stereotype that English food always tastes so bland, which oh. is why he carries this pepper around um, to to spice up whatever food he purchases in the country. But I yeah, he puts that. he puts an obnoxious amount on this sandwich. Does he ever actually eat the sandwich? I can't remember. I think he does. But I remember he just lets out that weird sneeze. And then he just, like, he launches behind that that brick fence or whatever. Or not, yeah, stone fence. And then Jonathan and Irina try to look for him. And then he ends up in the air or whatever. He teleports. Yeah. And then he stabs Jonathan with his pinky. And then, so that's not even the weirdest part to me. What's weird is that all it takes is stabbing someone in the diaphragm with your pinky to alter their breathing and then they become like a hormone user. Like that's so strange to me because I think Zapelli later in the episode or something like mentioned like training and all this stuff. Like it takes a lot of training. We have to train you up, Jonathan. But like he just stabbed him with a pinky and then he had hormone breathing. <laughs> I'm like, that's all it took? That's weird, man. Yeah. But I feel like Zeppeli knew that Jonathan could harness that that untapped energy. And so he just went ahead and stabbed him with his pinky. But then that also brings up, it's interesting that you mentioned that because that also brings up more questions <laughs> that I have. So as their exchange goes on, um, Zapelli is like saying he he knows all this shit about, I mean, first of all, he knows Jonathan and Irina's full names. Um, he knows about Dio and the mask. He knows about all these things. And I'm like, how do you know all these things about Jonathan? Like the, Irina doesn't even know about Dio and the mask. How do you, Zapelli? know about Dio and the mask and all this stuff like how long have you been stalking this poor guy <laughs> in that case if you remember like Speedwagon was giving the play-by-play analysis of Jonathan and Dio's fight in the last episode so I'm sure Zeppeli was hanging back somewhere in the distance and can just hear this guy screaming <laughs> everything that's going on <laughs> and then that's why that's why Zeppeli knows so much about about the current situation. I'm not about these characters. Speedwagon's like the narrator of Jonathan's story. That that's how I see him. Also, he's kind of that trope in anime. And if anyone's watched Inuyasha, they're so guilty of this in Inuyasha. Um, but that trope in anime where they state the obvious, like something happens, then the the characters who are observing the situation like gasp. They're like, "Oh my gosh, 
you know, this person just did X, Y, Z. And you're like, yeah, I know. I just watched that happen on screen. That's what, that's what Speedwagon is. Like he's the narrator who states the obvious, mm-hmm. but Hey, I love Speedwagon. So I'm, I'm fine with it. He adds that nice, you know, hype element. He, he's, he is Jonathan's hype man. And that is totally okay with me. He's still kind of stalkerish. <laughs> so then Zapelli, as he, um, is, explaining the backstory uh, of the mass to Jonathan and Edina. And I'm sure Edina is like, what the fuck are you talking about right now? Um, he then goes into Hamon energy and how it's created. And it's the same energy as that created by the sun. And it's linked to liquid and, and one's own blood. And I'm just like, what? I, I still, I've watched this episode like four times now. I'm still confused by this whole explanation. I actually wrote down some notes here on the concept of Hamon energy just to kind of break it down because yeah it was confusing to me when I first watched it and then after we rewatched this episode I went on to the Jojo anime wiki um, to get more info so Hamon it does not mean ham it's translated <laughs> as ripple which I think is like it's the Japanese word for ripple right um, which is an energy used in, ancient, in an ancient form of martial arts called sendo which I had completely forgotten about which is the way of the hermit or the wizard. Hamon is derived and drained from blood and is controlled through breathing. The energy waves from Hamon are the same as the sun, hence its importance in taking down Dio and like his undead vampiric army. And then Hamon has its strengthening and healing qualities. And so the way I envisioned it, again, me being a Star Wars fan, is this is JoJo's version of the Force. Yeah, I can definitely see that being like like the force. Um, it's just to me, it's similar to the force. It's just one of those things that you can try to explain, but you never really understand what it is. Even though your explanation makes a lot of sense to me, mm-hmm. I still like, I I still always kind of feel like it's this thing that I'll never truly understand. Yeah, I feel like Araki just wanted to throw in all the cliche like anime superpowers into this into Sendo or Hamon, and at times it's it's very questionable. Like, and maybe it can be contradicting at points, but it is what it is in this case. And I actually wanted to double back, um, because you mentioned that Zeppeli tells Jonathan of the origins of the stone mask. Um, and we are introduced to a young Zeppeli who I thought looked almost like a, a classic rock star. And I don't know if this was a, like a music reference in itself. He looked fucking ugly to me. Sorry, I wrote that in my notes. I was like, Zabelli was fucking ugly when he was younger, LOL. That's the only thing I had to say about that mm. scene. I was like, oh God, he looks really bad. Yeah, I mean, it looked like he could have been a member of Led Zeppelin or of the Ramones. Um, but yeah, we learn about the origins where it's a mask that was discovered amongst ancient Aztec ruins in Mexico. So that kind of confirms the archaeological aesthetic that we see in the ending credits. Um, Then we learn that Zeppeli's father used the mask on himself, and then he killed his entire crew. And then the mask ended up staying on that abandoned ship because um, Zeppeli jumps ship after his father um, kills the crew and then gets eaten up in the sunlight or whatever. I'm just wondering how it ended up in George Joestar's possession after the mask. Again, it just stayed on that ship and then that ship floated away to wherever that's a really good question i did not think about that because yeah they don't really explain how george josar has that mask in the first place 
Because, hmm. yeah, I know it, like, it ended up in his carriage, and then we have the accident, and the whole Dario thing happened. But it was obviously intentionally placed like on the carriage. Like he, It was probably in his possession on the carriage for whatever reason. Like Where was that carriage even going? Like What was point A and what was point B? And why did he have the stone mask in like, some sort of briefcase when you know when they were traveling and then fell off that cliff or whatever yeah so i think after this point in part one like i don't really remember a lot of what happens so i'm wondering if there was there is an explanation for this um in the later episodes for part one um the last thing i'll mention about this stone mask origin story i just like how as pelly's narrating it um a lot of the sound effects when his father or the captain, the ship captain murders the crew. It sounds like very eighties. Like, um, I don't, I don't know if like, it, it's like what in like a sound effect that's used in dragon ball. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Like, what sound effect? It's it's just like a sound effect. Oh, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Um, but it just sounds like it, it's straight out of an eighties anime. So it, it's just funny that they included it in this narration specifically because i don't think you ever, i don't think i heard that part is it the noise when the vamp like the vampire stabs the pelly yeah. in the shoulder i think they use that whenever someone gets poked like in the episode what was it episode two where dio puts the mask on that guy on the street oh yeah and then he shoves his fingers and dio's like neck or collarbone area i think it was the same noise okay i could be wrong though but i think so no now that i think of it i think even in this episode, he you hear that noise um, during the Whitechapel scene. But, yeah, again, I think it's just the use of that sound effect is, again, an homage to the era in which um, the original JoJo manga came out, which was the 80s. So a little bit of cultural reference there. And in the final scene of this episode, um, we see the group, so Zapelli, Jonathan, and Speedwagon, um, on a carriage heading to Wind Knight's Lot. And they're stopped in a tunnel um, where they encounter Jack the Ripper. And really all I want to say about this part, about this whole scene, is just how ridiculous and nonsensical JoJo can be. And there's three major examples of this. So first, they're chatting in the carriage, right? And the carriage suddenly stops because they hear a noise or whatever. And that's probably what, like a two-second thing that happens like a two five seconds pass or whatever but in that that short amount of time jack the ripper cuts off the heads of all three horses kills the driver puts a horse head on top of the dead driver and then hid inside one of the dead horse bodies again all within the span of like a few seconds because unless he did it very very quietly all that noise happened and then the carriage stopped all of a sudden and then they got out and saw this scene i'm like what how, how does time work in, in this show? And then you get Zapelli. So when, when they're going to fight Jack the Ripper, Zapelli pokes a hole in the bottom of a wine bottle, a glass wine bottle with his pinky, and then pours it into a wine glass. Instead of just pouring through the top of the wine bottle like a normal person, I'm like, why? Why, does that, why is that necessary? I mean, we know that you've got a strong pinky. You already stabbed Jonathan with it. But damn, Zapelli, that's a power move. Yeah. Again, here's another Star Wars thing, but it it's like if Luke Skywalker was given a lollipop to use in a fight against Darth Vader. Like, it's the most useless thing you can think of to use in a battle, and he just pulls it out. <laughs> and then 
I just like I, I still can't wrap my head around like the fact that he punches a hole in the bottom of it. Like, don't you have shards of glass now in the wine? And he does drink it a few times too. I'm like, man, just pull the cork out and pour from the top of the bottle. <laughs> no, you got to be dramatic about it. <laughs> and quick note: the name of the wine that it, he drinks is Mezzanotti Topo, which translates to Midnight Mouse in Italian. If anyone's curious, it's not a reference or anything, but I just noticed it um, in the second watch or. Yeah, in the second rewatch. I'm sure there's some like small, tiny reference to either JoJo or Rocky or maybe someone at David Production who chose to to put that label on there. But who knows? Maybe we'll never know. Mm. Then the last kind of ridiculous moment in this scene um, is when Jack the Ripper like, kind of squeezes all these knives out of his body, I think, maybe right before that. But he basically launches a knife at Zapelli. And Zapelli has an entire monologue while a knife is being launched out of Jack the Ripper's body using like that that crazy pose where he lifts his arms in the air. Um, and this knife is flying at Zapelli at what looks like the speed of a bullet. But again, the sense of time in JoJo, like there's there is no time. Like time is is irrelevant because Zapelli has this entire monologue. He's talking about I can't remember what he was talking about. <laughs> he mentions a flea. That's all I remember. Otherwise, oh, OK. Like, what the hell is this guy doing? Yeah, maybe it's like, I think he was talking about like power versus size. Like the the flea is like a tiny little thing, but it's not afraid to go up against a human, which is like a thousand million times its size or something like that. It boils down to like understanding that courage is knowing fear and making fear your own, which reminded me of like Dwight's advice to Ryan in the office where he's like, you need to vanquish fear. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it was way longer than I expected. And again, there are knives that are coming at him while he's giving this weird motivational speech to Jonathan. And then he like rips the knives away using his hamon cutter when he makes like the best noise when he when he does that too. I can't I don't even remember what it's it like sounds like. Yeah, it was like like the best like the funniest noise. I, I just love the the sounds that Zapelli makes. But yeah, th- those three stuck out to me in particular cuz I'm like th- these just don't make any sense. The whole episode is very nonsensical, but I, I say that in a very loving way. As I've mentioned before, this is why I'm obsessed with JoJo because they forget things and, and things don't happen according to the laws of physics or time, but no one cares. It just happens and we all accept it because it's mm-hmm. fantastic. On that note, I wanted to just go through a list of the Hamon moves that have been used in this episode. First one we saw with um, Jonathan's training, which was a zoom punch where Zeppeli dislocates his shoulder for an extended punch. It also sounds like something you'd probably want to do to people in your Zoom video conferences. <laughs> um, you have that homon kata, which you just mentioned, which slices at Jack the Ripper's knives. You have the sendo wave kick, and then the final move, which is what Jonathan uses to take down Jack the Ripper, uh, sendo homon overdrive. So all these like anime-sounding moves that they, again, they call them out, and then they attack, but... Yeah, that was the list that I pulled together for this episode. And who knows, we'll probably get more moves uh, later on. The last thing I wanted to point out is what the fuck is that flying dagger contraption that Jack flies when he tries to do a surprise attack on Jonathan? Oh, like that big like human (laughs) size like like, chopper? Yeah, like the flying thing. Like how did he devise that and then he uses it against Jonathan? I don't know if he had like he had it prepared in advance, but it's just... Again, going back to the out of the ordinary thing, 
things that you see in JoJo. It looks like a torture device, or it looks like it reminds me of the little like, like skin chicken looking things from um, Half Life and Half Life Two, where they like grab onto your face using their like little little arms that look like little blades, and they just like clamp onto your face and like suck the life out of you. Mm. I don't know what they're called, but my sisters and I always called them like the the chickens. They look like like a chicken that you buy at the grocery store. See, I'm not familiar with with oh, the half. You're probably game. like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> but me, like, I when playing Assassin's Creed 2 it reminded me of like the flying machine that Da Vinci creates um, for that game's main character. But this is just a more twisted, nihilistic version. Okay, that probably makes more sense than my <laughs> than my naked chicken Half Life Two <laughs> reference. But yeah, it's just weird that it it just shows up for a hot second, and then you don't see it again until Jack plans to use it against Jonathan at the end, but we know that Jack's one and done. Before we wrap up, I do want to call out Zapelli um, as a, a key character in this part. Um, you, you touched on it already, but Zapelli again, is, is that, that type of mentor, um, that father figure for Jonathan. And I think what's interesting here is I know we only have nine episodes for this part, um, so that, that could play a big key in, in how fast this is moving. But I think... Zapelli has to push Jonathan very, very hard um, and possibly in an unfair way because he knows what Jonathan's capable of and he knows there isn't much time to stop Dio. I mean, this is really Zapelli's life goal to destroy the mass. He said he's been hunting the mass for decades after what happened on the ship. Um, and this, this is what he he's focused on. And he knows that, you know, perhaps Dio is stronger than he is. So he needs to recruit Jonathan or maybe it's just better to have, you know, power in numbers. Um, but normally you get that very long arc where the character is training hard. I mean, I think to Demon Slayer, um, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Demon Slayer, but Tanjiro trains for, I think, like two years mm-hmm. before he's ready to even test for the Demon Corpse. Um, corpse? Corp? Core. core core i don't know i always say that word weird so the demon core um and you don't get that here you get like you get introduced to zapelli you get him teaching jonathan about hamon and then training him for like a hot second and then having what would in other anime be like the final test quote unquote before he's ready and that's him facing jack the ripper with a fucking glass of wine yeah <laughs> and i mean jonathan passes with flying colors because he's a joe star um and then you know it's kind of like they're already on their way to see Dio at that point because there was rumors of him being at Wind Knight's lot. So mm-hmm. it's like, holy shit, this is such a, a ramped up and very quick moving episode in terms of like just us getting to see Jonathan's development and training in Hamon. I mean, all within one single episode. Yeah, it goes by very quickly and maybe they could have fleshed out the training a little bit more, but a uh, lot's at stake at this moment because... Like, again, to Jonathan's surprise, Dio has returned, and we know how much of a threat he is going to be to Jonathan and, again, to the rest of the world. And so time is of the essence here for Jonathan to really learn Hamon, utilize it, and use it against his former brother. And with that, we get the ending. And now that we've been introduced to Edina, well, reintroduced to Edina and introduced to Zapelli, we see them in the ending as the, the the ending kind of pans across all the characters those two now pop up it's one of those little things those little details that david production always has um that i appreciate it's like you you hear about another anime that there are slight changes to the opening and to the ending based on what's happening in in the show but 
David production doesn't hold back. Like when there's something new that happens, they make sure to insert that right into the opening or the ending. And I yeah. think it's great. So my final thoughts with Overdrive. Again, we are introduced to this power of Hamon. And although it feels to me like an excuse for those cliched anime combat moves that characters just need to call out during battle, I am here for it. And again, it, it reminds me of like Jojo's version of, of the force. And as I also mentioned before, after this point in part one, I really don't remember how the middle section of this part plays out. So we'll see what other oddities Jonathan faces before he inevitably faces Dio again. Yeah, this episode, I think, um, was jam-packed. Again, part one is only nine episodes, and there's a lot to cover in such a short amount of time. So I get why things move so quickly, but I also appreciate it. Sometimes when you kind of linger on something, you're like, okay, I just want this arc to be over. I want to get to, like, the good shit. And at least with part one, we get to the good shit very quickly um, without sacrificing these key um, these key moments for these characters. So I appreciated this episode. Um, I think it... it plays a, a big part in the grand scheme of of jojo phantom blood um without lingering too long and that wraps up episode four of strictly jojo new episodes premiere every other monday at 9 a.m central you can follow us on instagram at the strictly series and on twitter at strictly series check out our website thestrictlyseries.com where you can reach out to us and share your thoughts on jojo's bizarre adventure you'll also find more info on strictly anime our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of jojo stay weeb everyone to be continued Thank you.